0: Leviticus is an ancient handbook on holiness used by the priests in their tabernacle duties. What health is to the body, holiness is to the soul. The word holy, which means separate, set apart, or consecrated, appears 80 times in Leviticus, on average nearly three times per chapter. God's holiness speaks of his separateness from anything impure or defiled. In Leviticus, not only are certain rituals and observations considered holy, but the Lord also calls his special people holy, requiring them to live separate and free from worldly defilements. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. I'm Ron Jones and this is Something Good.
1: It may be the least read book in all the Bible, but it's far more interesting and practical than you might think. Hello, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for being here for this Friday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Well, at first blush, the book of Leviticus may seem boring, dry, repetitive, but as you'll discover today, there's a reason for the repetition. Today, Ron takes us to Leviticus as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Stay with us here or drop by our new digital streaming platform at somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org and download or subscribe to the podcast at Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Ron with his Something Good Radio message today, Leviticus, worshiping a holy God.
0: Well, the Old Testament book of Leviticus is probably the least read book among the 66 books of the Bible. Come on, church, let's just be honest. Uh, When you picked up your Bible this week, and hopefully you did, and you looked for a place to read, probably Leviticus wasn't on the top of your list. Maybe you wanted to go to the Psalms or the Proverbs or one of the Gospels or uh, an epistle in the New Testament. But most people of faith who are Bible-believing, Bible-loving Christians, they desire to read the book of Leviticus about as much as a little boy desires to eat his peas and carrots, which is not at all. And I say that because I was that little boy. I was that little boy whose mother tried, oh, my mother tried to get me to eat green peas. We were from Indiana, you know, the, the bread basket and the vegetable basket of America, but... I got to tell you, even to this day, I gag at the sight of green peas, which is one of the reasons I I fear a church potluck. I always have, all these years. I I, I fear that dear sister who comes to the church potluck and says, oh, pastor, pastor, God told me to make this pea salad for you, and I have to look at her and say, no, he didn't. Get behind me, devil. (laughs) Apologies to all the pea growers across America. But um, this is kinda how we feel about the book of Leviticus. And my goal this morning as your pastor and your Bible teacher is to take us from yuck to I love Leviticus, all right? In fact, I want, to, I want us to practice, I want us to say it together, those three words, ready? I love Leviticus. Now some of you, you know, the words are coming out, but the enthusiasm is not there. Uh, Give me about 35 minutes, and with the Lord's help, I want to take you from Leviticus to I love Leviticus. King David loved Leviticus. How do I know that? Because in Psalm chapter 119 and verse 97, King David says, I love your law, O God, He says, oh, how I love it, for it is my meditation all the day. And think about it, King David at that time, all he had in his possession as a a Bible, we might say, is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He just had, you know, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament law. He was writing the Psalms at the time, and other books, you know, were being written. But he just had these five books, and when he said, oh, how I love thy law, that meant Leviticus too. David loved all of God's word, including Leviticus. And let's remember that the Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, all right? So let's, let's plumb the depths of Leviticus today and learn to love this book, and better yet, to love the author and, and, and to, to mine the profitability of God's word. I will tell you ahead of time, Leviticus is chock full of more pictures and types and foreshadowings of the Christ who is to come, and from our perspective, has come in the person of Jesus Christ than perhaps any other book, certainly in the Pentateuch, but maybe in all of the Bible. And from a literary standpoint, it's the middle book of the first five books of the Bible, uh, chiastically speaking, oftentimes a, a, a writer would, would point everything to the middle of where he was writing. It's called a chiastic structure. And Leviticus, it all points to Leviticus. I know we love Genesis and we love Exodus. We love the epic stories in Exodus. We love the epic stories in Numbers. We'll get to those next week. But don't jump from Exodus to Numbers just because Leviticus is hard to read or you may be saying, Leviticus yuck Now by the end of our time, with the Lord's help, I think you'll say, I love Leviticus. With that in mind, and for starters, Leviticus is an ancient handbook on holiness. And that word holiness all by itself kind of makes us scratch our head. It shrouds a mystery uh, over the book of Leviticus and makes us wonder, you know, what's that all about? But generally speaking, think of it this way, what health is to the body, holiness is to the soul. I know you want a healthy body. I do too. Some of us work out a lot to keep our bodies healthy and in good shape. Uh, The same is true with pursuing and practicing uh, holiness. The word holy, which means separate or set apart or consecrated, appears 80 times in the book of Leviticus. Now, there are only 27 chapters, and do the math there. that's, That's almost three times Per chapter. God's holiness speaks of his separateness from anything that is impure or defiled. And part of what we find in Leviticus are certain rituals and observations that are considered holy. But the Lord also calls his special people, the children of Israel, to live their lives separate and uh, free from worldly defilements. Thus, Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 45, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to uh, to be your God. He reminds them of uh, what he did for them, to free them from Egyptian slavery. And then he, he introduces the ethical obligations of being in a covenant relationship with him. He says, you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. In other words, if I'm gonna call you my chosen people, if I'm going to affix my name and my reputation to you, there are some ethical obligations to that, and I want you to be holy. Yahweh was Israel's God, and they were his chosen people. He rescued them from slavery, and then here at Mount Sinai, he advanced the covenant relationship with them that he had first established with Abraham centuries before. Keep in mind, in terms of the geography and the time spent, in Leviticus, we're still at Mount Sinai. In fact, really, from Exodus chapter 19 to Numbers chapter 10, the Israelites are still at Mount Sinai. It took them about two months to leave Egypt and get to Sinai. They spent about a year at Sinai as God was advancing the covenant relationship and laying out, in this case, many of the ethical obligations that were a part of that. Now, Leviticus also casts a long shadow of holiness from the Old Testament and the book of Leviticus all the way into the New Testament. In fact, it's Leviticus that the Apostle Peter has in mind when he writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, listen to this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written. And here it is, the reference to Leviticus. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So even in the New Testament, there's this ethical obligation as the uh, followers of Jesus, as children of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that we practice holiness. In theology, we talk about positional holiness, by faith in Christ, you are made holy in God's eyes. And there, there, there's the practical working out of that as well. And yes, because we are sinners, even sinners saved by grace, there's often a distance, too much distance between our positional holiness in Christ and the practical working out of that. Sanctification and uh, being molded more and more into the image of Christ, which is God's goal, uh, shrinks that distance between our positional and practical holiness. Are you still with me? Some of that long shadow that is cast from the Old Testament to the New Testament with regard to holiness also shows up in Paul's New Testament letters when he says to the Corinthians, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here back in Leviticus, they're just setting up the tabernacle, that traveling worship facility and certain uh, rituals and observances with regard to the holy nature of God. Later it becomes the temple, a more permanent facility. But in the New Testament, the temple is gone. We as believers in Jesus Christ are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And here's the question, friends. As a follower of Christ, are you a temple or a trash can? You know, we we don't practice holiness as an ethical obligation to earn God's favor. But as the people of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a standard to which we attain in the power of the Holy Spirit. And distancing ourselves and separating ourselves from the defilements of the world, what comes into our eyes, our ears, what comes out of our lips, how we use our body, should all be with an understanding. You're a child of the Holy God who brought you out of the slavery of, of sin in Egypt. This is the idea.
1: Don't go away. We'll be right back with more of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Leviticus, Worshiping a Holy God. If you're new to the program, know that we archive all of Ron's messages at our website, somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org And when you stop by, use the Partner tab Right at the top of the homepage And check out the 828 Club That's a special group of people Who partner with Ron so that he can Keep sharing the truth of God's Word The whole year through Join the 828 Club right from our website Or feel free to give us a call 757-276-1099 Again, that number is 757-276-1099 Earlier in today's message, Ron said that what health is to the body, holiness is to the soul. And Leviticus is our handbook on holiness. Let's join him now for the rest of today's Something Good radio message. Leviticus, worshiping a holy God.
0: Primarily, Leviticus, 3,500 years ago, was an instruction manual for the priests and Levites who served God and his chosen people by offering sacrifices through the ministry of the tabernacle. When you bought a car, you got an owner's manual. (laughs) It's not enjoyable to read it, right? Well, when they became priests and chosen people of God, there was an instruction manual on how to serve the people of God as priests and as Levites. Um, Aaron, Moses' brother, who was with him before Pharaoh, uh, became the first high priest. And we see Aaron introducing the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament. In her classic book, What the Bible is All About, Dr. Henrietta Mears adds this understanding to Leviticus. She says, the book of Leviticus is God's picture book for the children of Israel to help them in their religious training. Every picture pointed forward to the work of Jesus Christ. She's spot on there and and almost an understatement. The richness and the detail and uh, uh, the strength of those foreshadowings and those pictures of the substitutionary atonement of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world, it is all in this picture book, as Dr. Mears says. Now, because the Bible is one continuous story, and it has one main character, that is the Christ who is to come from an Old Testament perspective or New Testament perspective, the Christ who has come, his name is Jesus. Let's get some sense of where we are on Route 66. We're just three weeks into our journey here and we've been to Exodus and Genesis and now Leviticus. But in Genesis, Christ is the seed of the woman and God's remedy for humanity's sinful ruin. Do you remember that from uh, Genesis chapter three? And uh, uh, the the heel that crushes the serpent's head, all a picture of uh, the Christ to come. In Exodus, Christ is our Passover lamb who by his blood sets the captives free from the bondage of sin. But here we've come to Leviticus. In, In Leviticus, Christ is our great high priest who atones for our sin and shows us how to walk with God In holiness. Another way to think of maybe uh, the big idea of Leviticus is that God forgives sin and by his mercy makes sinful people holy by means of substitutionary atonement. There's a a lot of words there and a lot of theological meaning. So let me repeat that God forgives sin and by his mercy he makes sinful people holy by means of substitutionary atonement. Sin must be atoned for. A punishment must come to sin. But a substitute is given in your place, in my place. In the case of Old Testament Israel, an animal. Uh, The blood of bulls and goats and spotless lambs were substituted and slain and sacrificed and, and blood atoned for the sinner. It's all a picture of Jesus Christ, who was the Lamb of God and the Son of God, who was uh, our substitute on the cross. Now some say the book of Leviticus is really hard to get your arms around, and, and it is. It's a challenging study. They say it's hard to outline. It's hard to get that 30,000 foot on. But I find it falling into two broad categories. I got a, gave you a chart in your notes and uh, encourage you to look at that. Chapters 1 to 17 deal with Sacrifice. Uh, Chapters 18 through 27, sanctification. Or to say it another way, in the first half of the book, we're talking about worshiping a holy God. And in the latter part of the book, uh, how to walk in holiness, personal holiness with God. So let's keep that in mind. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time focusing on three things that arise from the book of Leviticus. In chapters 1 to 7, we're introduced to five sacrifices or offerings that the Old Testament Israelites regularly practiced, and I want to talk about that. Then I want to talk about uh, uh, seven celebratory feasts that are mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23, and then I want to talk about the, uh, the one day of atonement that is mentioned in chapter 16. So let's first go to the first seven chapters. And as we do this, let's keep in mind that Jesus Christ, again, is our high priest who atoned for our sin by his sacrificial death upon the cross. All of the imagery of the Levitical priesthood that comes online in the book of Leviticus, all of the imagery behind Aaron, who is the practicing high priest at the time, is a foreshadowing of our great high priest, who is Jesus Christ, who atoned for our sin by his death upon the cross. But uh, the book of Leviticus begins in chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, The Lord God called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord. Uh, In the context of... um, their life and their community, the bringing of an offering or of a sacrifice to the Lord to atone for their sins was a regular part of that. And there are very detailed um, uh, instructions given in the first seven chapters regarding this. But notice that the Lord did not say, if you bring an offering, uh, but when. And the five offerings that are mentioned in these first seven chapters are called the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. The first three offerings were considered voluntary. You would bring this offering or make this sacrifice of your own free will. The last two, the sin offering and the trespass offering, were mandatory And uh, generally speaking, the first three were ways of saying, thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for me, for the provision that you have made, for uh, delivering me from a difficult situation. The last two offerings were were, uh, ways that uh, worshipers said, I'm sorry for the sin that I've committed. Now let's dive into each of these uh, um, just real briefly. Uh, The first is the burnt offering, and it takes 17 verses in chapter 1 to describe all of the details. I'm not going to read that or go through it uh, methodically, but generally speaking, the burnt offering was an animal sacrifice that totally consumed the animal and was acceptable to God as a general substitutionary atonement for sin. And this sacrifice typified how Christ offered His body on the cross in total and complete submission to the will of the Father for the payment of our sins. Okay, That's called the burnt offering. The grain offering, uh, we pick up that in chapter 2. Again, it takes 16 verses to lay out all the details and the obligations and uh, uh, the observations. Uh, This was not an animal sacrifice. This came from one's food supply. And this offering, unlike a blood sacrifice, which was required for the remission of sin, this was a a thank you offering and was an acknowledgement of God's provision in their life. And some scholars have noted that uh, because grain was very scarce in the wilderness during those 40 years of wandering around, that this offering could cost them something. And we need to keep that in mind as well. Uh, The peace offering is introduced in chapter 3. It takes, uh, again, 17 verses. Worshippers could use an animal or a grain uh, representation to make this offering. It's sometimes called a fellowship offering. Again, it was a way of saying thank you to God for all that he had provided. Uh, Sometimes it was used to fulfill a vow that they had made uh, or to give thanks for delivering the worshiper from some circumstance or situation that they were in again these first three offerings were voluntary uh you came of your own free will the last two starting with the sin offering were mandatory and the sin offering it takes all of chapter 4 and into the middle of chapter 5 to detail this one it was an animal sacrifice required by the mosaic law to atone for unintentional sins
1: You know, there's a reason why God tells us things repeatedly. Repetition leads to remembrance and remembrance to reformation. You're listening to Something Good Radio with Dr. Ron Jones. And today's message, Leviticus, worshiping a holy God, along with all of Ron's messages, can be heard on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. Use the radio tab right at the top of the homepage. Again, that's somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, be sure to check out a discipleship coaching experience developed by Dr. Ron Jones called Starting Point, a Disciples First Steps. In Starting Point, Ron takes you back to the fundamentals of the Christian faith and helps equip you to fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples of Jesus Christ who go and make disciples. To find Starting Point and Disciples First Steps, look for Something Good courses when you visit somethinggoodradio.org. For your gift to Something Good Radio today, we'll send you a new resource written by Dr. Ron Jones that goes along with this current series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. It's a 45-page ebook based on the books of the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Now, this content is available for a limited time to our monthly partners or for anyone who sends a gift today. You can give online at somethinggoodradio.org. You can also mail your gift to us, P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. Or call our offices at 757-276-1099.
0: When the devil comes around and tries to bring that blame and all that shame back on you for what you know you're guilty of, some sin you committed in the past, some life, you know, uh, maybe something you did yesterday, last week. You just say, listen, devil, I have a scapegoat. His name is Jesus. And he took all the blame and all the shame and cast my sins as far as the east is from the west and said, that goat, that shame and that blame, that ain't never coming back into my camp here. That's how we live as believers in Jesus Christ.
1: That's next time when Ron shares part two of his message, Leviticus, Worshiping a Holy God. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis, God bless and thanks for listening.